0: Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 6th of November 2022, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Things Jesus Came to Bring Us Freedom. Right, well, freedom and truth. Freedom and truth. Two words that tend to receive very different responses today. Let's take freedom first. Freedom remains something that is immensely popular as a concept. Think of the numerous films that have been made, not just recently, but down the years, that have freedom as its central theme. Here are a few of them coming up now. Some of them going quite some distance back in time, some of them more recent. But they all have the theme of seeking freedom as their central plot or theme. So you got films like that. But it's not just films. Not long ago, a book came out telling the story of Harry and Meghan leaving the life of being working royals, and what was the title it was given? It was called Finding Freedom, wasn't it? Freedom, the idea of being set free from the things that oppress us, that still is, and probably always will be, an incredibly popular idea what about truth? Truth, on the other hand, is something much less in favour. Freedom, still very popular as a concept, truth, much less so. Truth used to be very popular, particularly in the age when people thought that all the new discoveries in things like science and medicine were going to solve all of the world's problems, the era that was known as modernism. People at that time we're more than happy to talk about truth. But that confidence that society has about truth existing, that confidence has long gone. We now live within a culture that tends to be known as postmodernism. That's the culture that now dominates. We have a little bit of a mixture of modernism and postmodernism, but essentially we're in a postmodern culture. And that's a culture that says supremely, that we should be deeply suspicious of anyone making universal claims about truth. It's okay to speak about what is true for you, to tell your own story as good and healthy, but make any claims about truth beyond that, make any claims about truth that applies to everyone, and you're met immediately with suspicion. You're regarded as being oppressive, and at least potentially a threat to other people's freedom. So freedom and truth, two things that within our culture are seen as, at the very least, in tension with one another and quite often in outright opposition. And yet within this passage, that passage that we had read to us earlier, Jesus does precisely that, doesn't he? He puts freedom and truth totally together. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says in these words, you really are my disciples, my followers, my learners, then, this is the crucial bit, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom and the truth revealed by him, Jesus says, belong totally together. And it's a message that couldn't really be more discordant with our culture. So how are we to understand it, let alone live by it and proclaim it? within a culture which is so resistant to precisely this sort of claim. Well, it is something that is further explained in this passage from John's Gospel that we had read to us. That passage from John is not everyone's favourite bit of the New Testament. It contains quite a lot of language, which is rather strange and a great deal that's rather off-putting. But I believe if we work hard to understand that passage... We'll see that it's making some crucial points about the relationship between freedom and truth. And so we're going to explore it a bit more this morning. And the first point that that passage tries to make clear is this No one who sins is free, they're instead a slave. When Jesus tells his Jewish hearers that if they hold to his teaching, they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free, they are really annoyed with him. And this is why, this is what they say We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, at first sight, those words are a little bit odd, aren't they? Because the whole of Israel's faith was based on the fact that they once were slaves and God rescued them out of Egypt. God rescuing them from Egypt through Moses, that was central to the faith of Israel, wasn't it? So quite an odd statement on the surface when they say we've never been slaves. And of course, at that point in their history, they were essentially slaves once again under the Romans, weren't they? They didn't have freedom, they had to pay oppressive taxes and so on. That's why they longed for a Messiah to come and rescue them. So why did they make this statement, we've never been slaves of anyone? Well, I think they must have realised that Jesus, when he spoke these words, was referring to something deeper. Jesus confirms this by talking about their slavery to sin. And rather shockingly, rather than being Abraham's children, rather than even being God's children, Jesus says that the Jews that he's speaking to are instead children of of the devil. And he describes the devil as a murderer, a very odd expression on the surface. And he describes him as a liar and the father of lies. Now it is rather shocking language, isn't it? Rather extreme, rather odd in its extremity. And even if we've just had Halloween and perhaps you had a few little devils calling at your door, did anyone get anyone like that turning up on their doorstep? I certainly did. Even if we're familiar with that sort of engagement with the devil, most of us are pretty uncomfortable, Christians included, are generally pretty uncomfortable today talking about the devil, aren't we? Let alone all of this strange language about him being a murderer and the father of lies. So what did Jesus mean when he spoke these words? What was he trying to say? What was he trying to make clear? Well, the key, I believe, is recognising that every part of what Jesus ascribes to the devil represents the opposite to God. And hopefully what we've now got on the screen will make this a bit clearer. God, Jesus says, is the creator. Therefore, God is the source of all life. All life comes from God, the creator, and therefore everything about life, all of its fullness and so on, it all comes from God. And God, therefore, is also exclusively the one who speaks the truth about that life. That side, hopefully, we can understand. It all hinges on God being the creator and therefore the sole source of life. But alongside this in the world, Jesus goes on to say, there's a force of evil that exists. A quasi-personal force, sometimes known, not always, but sometimes known as the devil. That's why I've put the devil in inverted commas. Because sometimes the Bible refers to evil, sometimes the principalities and powers, sometimes uh, it uses this quasi-personal title, the devil. And what Jesus says is that that force of evil stands in opposition precisely to the life that comes from God. But this power is at the same time, and this is the crucial part, utterly deceitful about this. This power of evil, the devil, speaks lies, speaks words that claim to bring life, but actually lead to the opposite. Namely, death. That's a summary of what I think Jesus is talking about in this passage. Now, it might still seem quite odd to us. It might seem very off putting. It might seem strange and a very unattractive way of talking about things. But if we allow ourselves to think about it, we'll see that, strange and off putting though it sounds, it actually does reflect our human experience. You see, this world is full of good things that God made, isn't it? That's clear to all of us. This world is full of wonderful things and God made those things for our enjoyment. But alongside that, there's also a voice within every single one of us that whispers to us that if we just take those good things and we make them at the centre of our life, we'll get that fullness of life and that freedom that we seek. Now, that's what idolatry is all about. Idolatry is all about taking the good things that God has made, and they're always good things because everything that God made is good. Idolatry is about taking the good things that God has made and placing those things, usually one in particular, at the center of our life so that we can receive the fullness of life that doing this appears. To promise. But it's all a lie. The truth is that give ourselves to created things, whether it's money, possessions, work, status, creative pursuits, success or relationships, if we place any of those things at the centre of our lives and above the God who created them, then those things actually enslave us rather than bringing the life that they appear to promise. I say appear to promise because these good things, they're not at fault. It's the voice that whispers to us if we just place those things at the center of our life. And rather than bringing us life in all its fullness, when we worship created things, when we place them at the center of our life, when we allow that to drive everything else, then what happens is that worship of these things, gradually and slowly, because that's all part of the deceit, brings us the very opposite of life. The path to the opposite of life, which ultimately is death. And that, Jesus says in this passage, is the predicament within which all human beings find ourselves Barking up the wrong tree when it comes to the freedom, the fullness of life that we seek. And constantly buying into a pack of liars that instead lead us into slavery. Now, by itself, that's a rather depressing message, isn't it? If I got down now, if I said a prayer and got and sat down, we'd all be thoroughly depressed for the rest of Sunday. Fortunately, that is not all that Jesus says, because he goes on to say this. True freedom is found God's Son. Human beings are in slavery, Jesus says, but freedom, true freedom, authentic freedom, the real thing, is found through Him. And He explains it in this way He says, A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, what's the process? Why is this logical? Well, the reason it works is because just as the devil is the father of lies, so Jesus, because he's the Son of God, speaks the truth that he's seen in the Father's presence, the truth that can set us free. And the whole thing hinges on God being the creator and the whole source of life. Jesus' oneness with the Father as I say, the creator and the sole source of life, means that Jesus is the only one who can bring us and can speak about that genuine freedom, that genuine fullness of life that we all seek. So what does all of this mean to us? What response should we make to these truths? What it means for all of us is that the only path to the freedom that we seek is through holding on to the teaching of Jesus rather than the lies that our culture presents to us. And we need to be in no doubt that particularly today, particularly within the culture that we live, we are surrounded more than any other time in history by such lies. So every time we switch on our TVs, for instance, one or two of you might not have a TV, but most of us do, Every time we switch on our TVs, we're promised that we can find freedom through things like competition time on Good Morning Britain. I tend to watch that in the mornings because I haven't got to rush off to uh, somewhere else to work. I tend to have that on in the morning and every 40 minutes or so you get that Andy guy popping up saying it's competition time with the promise of fullness of life and wonderful freedom if we only join in that competition and win Uh, the huge sums of money that come with it. You've got to be in it to win it, is the strap line. And when we're not seeing that, we see advertised the omaze million-pound draw with uh, the woman who advertises that with the high, squeaky voice. But it's not just that. Pretty much all of the adverts that we see on TV have the same message. If only we have that product, if only we have uh, what it represents, then fullness of life And genuine freedom will come with it. It's undiluted, idolatry. And we're getting it 24-7. The emphasis upon celebrity has a pretty similar message. How are we to stand up against this? How are we to resist this tidal wave? It's only through remaining in Jesus. And it's only through listening to his words that we're able to see these lies for what they are. And we're only able through him to see that the only source of freedom, the only source of freedom, is found through being joined to the only one through whom genuine life comes. Through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. A few weeks ago, I went on a reunion of the Christian summer camps that I used to attend as a teenager. I used to go most summers to a Christian cipher camp at a place called Limpsfield in Surrey that was run for 30 years by a man called Kenneth Habersham. There he is, one of the poshest people I've ever known. Delightful chap, but very, very smooth. Actually, his father, Willoughby, happens to have been the vicar of Christchurch from 1935 to 1944. I wonder if you can see the likeness. Ken's told me about his memories of during the Second World War, when he was a very young child, sheltering in the cupboard under the stairs during air raids in New Morden. He had a huge influence uh, on my life. Those camps were absolutely vital for the development of my Christian faith and for literally hundreds of other teenagers as well. And I went on this reunion, and one of the other people who used to go to these summer camps was the evangelist Jay John. I remember him on those camps before he was famous, and he got up and he spoke about Kenneth's impact on his life and the impact on the life of so many of others, others of us as well. And one of the things that J. John mentioned was something I'd forgotten. And it was an illustration that Ken Habersham would give to us as teenagers to challenge us on whether we were allowing Jesus to be the Lord of our life, to be in charge of our lives. Ken Habersham would say, imagine your life is like a car. Now, we'd have imagined 1980s cars rather than something like that. And Ken would say to us, if Jesus is travelling with you in the car of your life, then that's great, that's terrific, that's fantastic. But he'd then challenge us on where Jesus is in that car. He'd say to us, is Jesus just in the boot so that you can get him out on Sundays and take him into church with you? Or perhaps he's more than that. Perhaps he'd suggest Jesus is uh, more prominent in the car. He's sitting uh, on the back seat, meaning that as you drive the car you can occasionally turn and talk to him and ask him things. Or perhaps he'd go on, he's a bit more than that. Perhaps he's sitting in the front seat alongside you as you drive the car being regularly listened to, but with you still in the driving seat. Making Jesus the Lord of your life, Ken Habersham would say to us on those summer camps, is about allowing Jesus to be driving the car of your life with us alongside him. Now, it's not a perfect illustration because we are given a responsibility under God for driving the car of our life. It's not true that we let go and let God, as is sometimes put. But it's an illustration that does make the point, rather powerfully, that Jesus can be present within our life without being in charge of it. To put it another way, it's perfectly possible for us to welcome Jesus into our lives as Saviour without really welcoming him as Lord One of the reasons we're having this sermon series on things Jesus came to bring us is because most of us, I think, wouldn't come to church regularly if we didn't already believe that we receive forgiveness from God through Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. But Jesus comes to bring us more than simply forgiveness. He comes to bring us freedom and fullness of life. And if Jesus isn't Lord of our life, one of the things it means is that we're missing out on a huge amount of the freedom in our lives that only comes through Him. So let's make this a bit more practical. Think of the created things in your life that you value most. There are a few suggestions. It might be your home. It might be your house. It might be your family. It might be your holidays. It might be something like football or another sport it might be work. Now these, we should be in no doubt, are all good things. And more than that, they're all good things created by God to bless us. But place any of those things without exception at the centre of our lives, make any of them into an idol, and they gradually start to enslave us. How do they enslave us? Well, the chief way in which they enslave us is by persuading us that the one we really want to have, the one we really, really desperately want to possess, that we should therefore make sacrifices of other good things within our life in order to get that principal one that we're set upon. That's the way idolatry works. Idolatry always asks for sacrifices. The idea is that we take other good things in our life and we sacrifice them for that one thing that we want above all others. That thing that promises to give us that fullness of life, if we do that. But the really tragic thing is that, as Jesus says, it's all a lie. Not only do we sacrifice those other good things in our life, but the very thing we're sacrificing them for doesn't deliver in any case it doesn't bring that fullness of life that it appears to promise. If we worship created things, however good they are, if we place them at the centre of our lives, they always end up controlling and enslaving us rather than actually setting us free. But the alternative is very different. Place Jesus Christ at the centre of our lives on the other hand and the opposite will be true. And that's because of Jesus' oneness with the Father, the Creator, the sole source of life, the sole source of authentic living. The truth that Jesus proclaimed is that freedom and life in all its fullness can only come through a relationship with the Creator God, the sole source of life through his Son. Then you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth, will set you free. And the really fantastic thing is that this freedom, this fullness of life, can then be experienced precisely through those good things that God created to bless us. So those very same things that when we make into idols, enslave us and take away our freedom, if we instead place those things below God, they can become a wonderful channel of the freedom in Christ of the life in all its fullness that God intends us to receive through his son and that's because we've restored them to their proper place place them above God and they become a curse they enslave us place them below God and every single one of them can become sacramental in other words be used as a channel of God's blessings to us So whereabouts might the challenge be for us this morning in this regard? Whereabouts in our lives, and we'll all be susceptible to this, might we be looking for freedom, for life in all its fullness, through something really good, but which we're nevertheless in danger of making into an idol by placing it above God? If we're honest with ourselves, can we recognise any signs that an idol is enslaving us rather than bringing the good things or the freedom that it promises? Can we recognise where we're making in our lives the sacrifice of other good things that it's been demanding? The answer, if we can see the signs of this, is to come before God humbly and in repentance, acknowledging that the life and the freedom that we seek can only come through him, through his son, restoring Jesus as Lord of our life and resolving to build our life around his teaching. Because it's the teaching of Jesus that tells us the truth about how to live and keeps us away from dangerous lies. And that, I say, is the path to all of those good things that God has given us becoming a blessing becoming a channel of the freedom that God wishes us to have. If you hold on to my teaching, Jesus says, you really are my disciples and the crucial part. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now doing this is far from easy. Put Jesus at the centre of our lives rather than created things and we will receive a reaction from those around us. They won't like it. And there could be several explanations for this. In human terms, people won't like it when we're living by a different agenda to the one that makes most sense to them. It will be rather threatening. But the deeper explanation for why we'll get a reaction is because a spiritual battle will be going on between truth and lies. Jesus makes a lot in this passage about his opponents trying to kill him, doesn't he? Why was that? And why does he emphasise it so much? Well, the reason they were trying to kill him is because Jesus represented with such fullness the truth about how to live. And when that happens, the powers that want to enslave us, they don't like it, and they react. And it's those very forces of evil that combined to eventually succeed in killing Jesus by putting him on the cross, But they didn't ultimately succeed, did they? They didn't ultimately succeed because the truth that Jesus represented resulted in God raising him from the dead. And that's because the supreme truth that characterised Jesus was self-giving love. That very same love through which God created the world and the source, therefore, from which all genuine life comes. Love is the opposite of idolatry, because love makes living in this world all about self-giving to others, rather than self-gaining at their expense. And through this, love represents the greatest path to freedom and fullness of life. Self-giving love, alongside faith and hope, is the supreme truth that Jesus calls us to live by. And incidentally, it provides the definitive answer to that issue that I started with earlier, the claim of postmodernism. The claim of postmodernism, that any claim to universal truth is oppressive and dominating. If the supreme truth that Jesus came to reveal is self-giving love, sacrificial love for others, that is the definitive answer that shows that that claim of postmodernism is wrong. The last thing that self-giving love, reflected in our lives, can ever be accused of being, if we're doing it anything uh, like, is a bid for power and control over others. So, to go back to where we started this morning, freedom and truth—words that our culture says are not compatible but as the wedding service says what god has joined together let no one separate and jesus didn't as i said earlier just come to bring us forgiveness for our sins jesus came to bring us the fullness of life that comes from being set free from what idolatry does to us and we need it because we're surrounded in our culture by lies about the path to fullness of life. And living within this culture, it's incredibly hard for us not to just go along with the flow on this. But the answer is found by allowing Jesus to be Lord of our life. To use that illustration Ken Habersham used to allow Jesus to be driving the car of our life. To hear and obey the words of the one who knows all about life because he comes from the creator father's presence let's have those words up one last time if you hold to my teaching you really are my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free